This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of James, the third chapter, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Thanks, Dana. Uh, how many of you have seen The Chosen? Any of All right. Uh, there are several scenes in it that depict a kind of low-key power struggle near the beginning of uh, the second season among the disciples, especially Peter, James, not not this James, uh, not Jesus' brother, the author of this letter, and John. Uh, the show presents the struggle as this interesting mixture of genuinely benevolent or or good desire to do ministry with Jesus in the best way possible and also sinful pride. One particular scene, I think, does this especially well. And in it, Peter pulls Jesus aside to talk to him about the decision-making hierarchy or lack thereof that currently exists among the disciples and some of the problems that it's causing. And so he's got some ideas in mind of how to improve it, which, of course, include him being at the top of the hierarchy. The writers do a great job. The directors did a great job of helping us to see the irony of this, the tragedy of this, the humor in this. And they did it in a way that's pretty easy to see ourselves in. It's pretty easy to relate to. So I mentioned that, and it's not mainly, I don't, I don't get a commission if you watch The Chosen or anything. It's not mainly a plug for the show, but because it captures well, and if you've seen it, you already know what I mean. I think it captures really well what seems to be the case among James's readers. In chapter three, that's sort of the picture that he gives us of what's going on in the church, at least the church he's overseeing. The picture we're given, in chapter 3 especially, but in the letter as a whole, is that of a group of people who are jockeying for positions of leadership, teaching leadership, for which they're not qualified, and who thought of themselves as possessing more wisdom than they actually had. Again, James gets this. He loves this, this people. You might remember he uses the term brothers over and over and over. It's a, it's a real term of endearment. So even as he says hard things to them. He continually makes sure that they know he's doing this in love. I have nothing but your best interest in mind, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as he recognizes this clamoring among them, he realizes this isn't good. This isn't honoring to God or or helpful for the church or good for their souls. And so he, he seeks to address it head on. Last week, in the first 12 verses of chapter 3, we read James's attempt to sober up these wannabe teachers by helping them to see how dangerous it is for people like them to, to step into the role of teacher, 
They don't have a firm enough grasp of their tongues or control over their speech. And because of that, they're just going to bring judgment, increased judgment upon themselves. That was that was last week. Well, this week, 13 to 18, James meant to sober up another group. There's probably some overlap, but he wants to sober them up, wake them up. Hey, hey, you're, you're seeing the world in one way and yourself in the world in one way, but you're off. They, they believe themselves to possess God-given wisdom and, and therefore want to share it with the church. But in reality, James says, your, your wisdom is from the demons. It's demonic. Wake up. So there are three main parts to this sermon, and all of them are meant to help understand the one main point that James is giving to us. Here's the main point. If you're going to write something down, here it is. Wise wisdom comes from God and produces good fruit while unwise wisdom comes from below and produces bad fruit. That's the overall thrust. Wise wisdom comes from God and produces good fruit always, while unwise wisdom comes from below and produces bad fruit always. And here are the three main parts. Not all wisdom is wise. That's the title of the sermon and the first main point. We'll see, secondly, the source and characteristics of unwise wisdom. And lastly, thirdly, we'll see the source and characteristics in this passage of wise wisdom. And so let's pray. Let's pray that God would make us wise and help us, maybe as importantly, realize when we're not. God, thank you that you are the source of all true wisdom. And that through all true wisdom comes righteousness and goodness and a number of other things we'll see. Thank you as well that you love us in such a way that you also help us to see what the fake stuff looks like because that's common. Wise wisdom is not. It's hard to find. It's hard to keep once you have it. Unwise wisdom is everywhere, easy to find, easy to hang on to. It's the whole current of our culture. And so thank you that you reveal both to us, that we might grab and hang on to one and and recognize and reject and push away the other. God, I pray, maybe above all, that you would help us to see in ourselves, this is, I think, James's main thrust here, the unwise wisdom that is so easy to creep in and take over and and shape our thoughts and, and our attitudes and our desires and where there is any of that in us, especially as leaders at Grace, but in any of us as the people of Grace Church, please reveal that to us by your Spirit and your Word this morning, that we might turn from it and embrace true wisdom, wisdom from above. I pray that we would know as well in all of this that there's forgiveness in Christ Sufficient forgiveness for any ways we veered and sufficient help in the Holy Spirit to repent and turn back. God, where there is conviction, let it not crush us, but rather lift us up in gladness in the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Isaiah 5.21 says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. 
And 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. The thing to see is that there is a consistent theme in the Bible of looking out for unwise wisdom, being careful, being on the lookout, having our eyes open and our ears open for unwise wisdom, for people who wrongly and dangerously, even ourselves, believe themselves to be wise, even though they aren't. I think one of the most vivid pictures of this that I've seen in real life played out in front of me was many, many years ago. I was on a, uh, took a group of kids as a youth pastor down to do some service uh, projects in the south. As we drove around, I noticed it was really impossible to miss. There were signs in front of these tiny little buildings, like every block, it seemed like, these tiny little Baptist churches. There were just so many. I, I mean, it was really hard to sort of get my head around. And so I asked our hosts, what's the deal with that? Why are there so many tiny little buildings, tiny little Baptist churches all over here? And they ex- they explain that it's just a tragic part of the culture where in a relatively small church to begin with, someone thinks themselves wise and the rest of the church doesn't, or most of the rest of the church doesn't. And so these little churches of, of 15 people around this guy who was wise in his own eyes splits off and starts a new church around his wisdom. And it just happens over and over and over again. Someone decided their gift of teaching and their biblical wisdom wasn't being properly recognized in one church, so they broke off with a few loyalists and started another. This is largely what James has in mind when he writes this. Well aware of this temptation and this reality in all of us, it's not just in the South, it's just such a clear picture in my head still. James asked, who is wise and understanding among you? So we're meant to ask ourselves that. (laughs) Do you think yourself wise? Do you think you have understanding? And many of you do, and I thank God for that. But what he's going to do is give us some tests, give us some ways to tell the difference. So again, evidently there were some among James's readers who believed themselves to be wise and therefore believed that they should have a larger voice within the church because of it. In reality, however, their their lives, their conduct, this is a consistent theme for James, their lives showed otherwise. Maybe they knew some fancy words or had some impressive theological uh, doctrine uh, or or maybe, maybe whatever, but the fact is their entire lives showed that they were fools. They believed themselves to be wise. Maybe they could talk that way, but their lives showed otherwise. And so in an attempt to slow them down for their own good and the good of the church, James wrote our passage for this morning. So again, that leaves us with a couple of questions, though. Two, two really important questions. Here they are. Number one, am I wise in my own eyes? If if that's not your first thought, if you're already thinking of someone else, oh boy, <laughs> this sermon is for you. The first thought has to be, am I wise in my own eyes? Not, oh man, so-and-so needs to hear this. It means you're wise in your own eyes. You need to hear this. First question, am I wise in my own eyes? And two, how can I tell? Two questions. I hope these ring in your head this entire time. Am I wise in my own eyes? Am I wise or just wise in my own eyes? And secondly, how can I tell? Same same basic thing, worded a little differently. How do we distinguish between genuine wisdom and false wisdom in ourselves and, and, and then, perhaps, in others? 
Knowing the difference, James taught, comes from recognizing the source of the wisdom and the characteristics. Each has its own. Each has its own source. Wise wisdom has its own source and characteristics, and unwise wisdom has its own source and characteristics. And that's mainly what this passage is, is unpacking both of those. So it, it comes from knowing the, the source and characteristics of each, and we'll get to that in a second, and also through, this is why James is writing, the confirmation of the leaders and the people of God. So when you understand yourself to be wise, you need to come to that understanding through knowing its source and characteristics. And it's also confirmed, which is again why James is writing this, by the church's leaders and, and people. The people of God, the other members of the church will recognize this as well. That is, it comes from having a firm grasp on where each kind of wisdom, wisdom, wise wisdom and unwise wisdom comes from and what it produces along with the help of our brothers and sisters. Grace, each of these things are a gift from God. They really are. It's, it's a gift to us that God reveals this to us. And it's the kind of gift that once we receive, we need to continually cultivate. Let us earnestly pray for them and work hard to develop them and maintain them once we get them. On a personal level, let this, let this be a lesson and a warning to all of us, even as it was a lesson and a warning to James's first readers. Believing ourselves to be wise is not the same thing as actually possessing wisdom. Grace, let us be slow to assume we're right. Let us be slow to assume we're right. Let us be slow to try to put out our own counsel, put our own counsel on the top of the decision-making pile. Let us be quick to listen to the ideas and reasoning of others. This is something James has already told us. It's on the other side of that often that true wisdom comes. Let us take everything to prayer. Let us be earnest in prayer. As we think we understand things as they are, let us take them quickly to prayer. And let us be clear on the source and characteristics of both wise and unwise wisdom so that we can easily, or at least more easily, recognize each, even as we turn there now. So that was the first point. Not all wisdom is wise. Let's talk about unwise wisdom then. Obviously, I made that term up. That's not in in James, although the concept is. Indeed, it is the main thrust of this passage. There is unwise wisdom infiltrating the church or churches that James is overseeing, and he wants to nip it in the bud. He wrote this once again primarily to point out unwise wisdom so that people would stop bringing that into the church, into themselves and into the church. And he does so again by explaining where it comes from and what it looks like. So where does it come from? Grace, the source of all sin in all of our lives is the world, the flesh, and the devils. The world refers to all the people around us who act in ways that are dishonoring to God and who tempt us to join them. The flesh refers to the internal sinful desires each of us have as offspring of Adam. And the devils refers to Satan and his demons who are continually working to entice us to sin, even as they did Jesus himself. You'll hear all three. See if you can hear these in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Paul says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, the world is heading in one direction, away from God, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit, spirits that are now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's the devils, and among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Our flesh. 
James seems to have all three of these things in mind as well when he describes the source of unwise wisdom. Listen again. This is not, he says, the kind that some of his readers possessed, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, of the world, unspiritual, of the flesh, demonic, of the devils. The simple fact The simple fact is that one of the tactics of those three, the world, the flesh, and the devils, is to fill us with unwise wisdom and tempt us to sin and turn away from the Lord our God. It's hard to miss, Grace, unless you're completely shut off of every news source and social media deal and newspaper and and you don't listen to the people around you talking. It's hard to miss the fact that the world's wisdom is increasing in its unwiseness to the great delights of the devils and our flesh. This means that we need to capture every thought. As thoughts come to us, especially from the world, our flesh, certainly the devils, so it means we need to capture every thought. Think what you think about a sports team or whether sports are okay or you think what you think about what kind of food to eat or what not to eat. Whatever thought comes into your mind, knowing the fast current going away from wise wisdom We need to capture every thought and test it carefully against God's word in order to determine its origin. Where did this come from? Where did this thought come from? This thing maybe I've assumed my whole life is true. Where did that actually come from? Is the thought or impulse from God? Or is it the world, the flesh, or the devils? We are right to be skeptical about the things we hear in a world that is as disordered as ours is becoming, is and is becoming, and Come back to that a little bit later. It is right to be cautious in our own thoughts when we don't see them flowing directly out of the word of God. And even when they, we think they do flow directly out of the word of God, we need to be careful. In the simplest possible terms, Grace, when we hear or think of something that sounds reasonable to us, that sounds wise to us, but we can't trace it directly back to the word of God, we need to be really careful of assuming it's wise wisdom. All right. What does it look like, though? How do we spot it? How do you know if it's from the world, the flesh, or the devils? How do we know that? How do we recognize it when we find it? Look at verses 14 to 16. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Six characteristics of unwise wisdom. Number one is bitter jealousy. The word translated jealousy can be either good or bad. It's good, it's zealous, it's right to be zealous for the things of the Lord. Or it can be bad, envious, or covetous. James adds the word bitter, and of course the rest of the context, to make his meaning clear. There were some among his readers who wanted what others, like James, had. Positions of authority and influence within the church, as evidenced by their roles as teachers and advisors. Well, they lacking the proper qualifications themselves for those roles, internally, James says, harbored bitterness, sharp, prickly, acute envy, while outwardly trying to assert themselves as qualified teachers and wise counselors. 
James described this as a clear characteristic of unwise or fake wisdom. And so here's the thing. Where you find bitter jealousy, where you find enviousness, covetousness, you found a definite lack of wise wisdom, of true wisdom. Instead, you found unwise wisdom. Second, selfish ambition. James lists lists selfish ambition as the second characteristic of unwise wisdom. And in simplest terms, here it is. The desire to see things accomplished for nothing more than personal worldly gain. It's the desire not for the good of another or even ultimately for ourselves, but simply to scratch some itch of the flesh. That's what selfish ambition is. Where selfish ambition is paired with bitter jealousy. When those two things come together, James says, the result is an insidious and disastrous, both for the individual harboring them and the church they're seeking influence over. On a practical level, whenever we find these two things in ourselves or others, we need to pump the brakes, hit the brakes hard and fast. We need to do so because they never, ever, ever flow from real wisdom. Having done so, having, having hit the brakes of our desire to lead or, or allowing someone to lead us that has these things, one of the, if you ever, if you want to, if you want to hear this in one of its most tragic forms, there's a podcast that came out re- recently called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Listen to that and you'll, you'll hear a, a church that tried and thought about and didn't know how and, just didn't pump the brakes quite quickly enough. But pump the brakes. Having done so, having slowed the roll a lot or altogether, we need to look around then. We need to look around expecting to find the following four things as well. Where there's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition flowing out of unwise wisdom, you're almost always going to find boasting, lies, disorder, and every vile practice also, James says. Boasting, as he uses the term, means highlighting our own accomplishments, real or imagined, for the purpose of self-glory. It's not wrong to talk about the things that God is doing among us and even in us, but it is wrong when it flows out of lies or when the goal is to bring something other than God glory for doing so. Where we find unwise wisdom, we will almost always find boasting as well. Four, false to the truth. False to the truth or lies against the truth is another way to translate it, is simply a way of saying that bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and boasting never come from actual truth. Every ounce of bitter jealousy, every iota of selfish ambition, and every word of boasting come from a lie. And all of these things are significant characteristics of unwise wisdom. Number five, uh, this is disorder. This is an exceedingly important one for our day. I, if I need to give a whole sermon on this, and, and I need to do it relatively soon. Today you just get a few sentences, but very, really soon I need to give an entire sermon, or maybe more than one, on, on this. Lean in a little bit, and you'll see why. Genesis tells us, so where unwise wisdom is, there is disorder. Genesis tells us that God both created and ordered all that he has made. He didn't just make it and leave it to us or leave it to leave it to whoever to figure out what to what it was for and what it was supposed to do and how it was supposed to work. God created the world and ordered it. He put it in an order. 
wisdom, as we will soon see. Get this. This is so critical to our day and age. Wisdom, as we will soon see, recognizes this order, the order that God actually made as he set up the universe, and seeks to orient or conform everything to it. Every desire, every action, every attitude, every thought, every feeling, everything we do. If you're in building, you know what a plumb line is. You, you need a plumb line to, or some version of this. So you got laser levels now and all that, but you need some some common thing to measure everything else off of. If if you have two guys trying to, the the most vivid one I've ever been a part of uh, is when you side a house. You have a guy starting siding on one side and a guy starting siding on the other, and then you meet and your your siding doesn't line up at all. It's really frustrating, I'll tell you that. I mean, I've heard. Uh, <clears throat> but the fact is they're not measuring off the same thing. God gives us an order to measure everything else off of, and when we fail to do that, it's tragic. Wisdom is, come back to this in a minute, wisdom is recognizing God as the great orderer and seeking to conform everything to that. Unwise wisdom, on the other hand, it's bad when it refuses to live in light of God's order. It says, yeah, I know lying is wrong, but I don't care. I'm going to lie anyway. That's one form of bad. That's one form of disorder. The worst form of disorder, which we're crashing headlong into right now, is denying God's right to order altogether. And so it, it rejects the fact that lying is even bad. So we're moving from, yeah, it's bad, but I don't really care, to who's, who says? Uh, my, my truth is my truth, and in my truth, lying isn't always bad, or you get the idea. Consider this point carefully, Grace. It's not even a slight exaggeration to say that the prevailing wisdom of our culture is increasingly unwise wisdom. We need... All we need to do is turn on the news today and see the disordering effect of the wisdom of the world all over the place. It is at the very heart of how our society, many are seeking to shape our society. And sadly, for James and for us at times, the church as well. In relation to society at large, just read the first three chapters of Genesis. Read the initial ordering that God has made in the universe and and then consider it against the way that like everything is presented today sexual ethics and gender identity and family structure and abortion and euthanasia and race and the role of government in the human body and just about everything else consider it against the way that god has ordered the universe and in relation to the church consider the order that god has clearly established And then consider the way many view the Bible, the roles of men and women, sin, salvation, the very purpose and mission of the church, and on and on. Unwise wisdom always leads to ordering things contrary to God's design, or worse yet, to rejecting God's order entirely. That's that's another sermon and series of sermons. Number six, lastly, characteristic of unwise wisdom Let's just make sure anything we miss, we cover here, every vile practice. (laughs) The last phrase is sort of a catch-all. James's point is that every vile, evil, or wicked practice that has ever been practiced has always only flowed from unwise wisdom. It focuses, this, this term here focuses on the other side of the coin 
of his earlier phrase, false to the truth. So one, one unwise wisdom coin, on one side you find lies, and on the other side you find every vile practice. So grace, unwise wisdom, comes from the world, the flesh, and the devils, and it is characterized by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, falsehood, disorder, and every kind of vile practice. James was kindly clear on all of that, so that when we see it, we can stop it. The main place, Grace, two things I really hope you cling to. One is the importance of order, rightly ordered as defined by God, and this is the second. The main place I see this playing out in the church, this church and the church, is in the form of what I've called, I think I've used this before in a sermon, semi-sanctified common sense. Many here in this room have been around the church and in their Bibles enough, and are personally thoughtful people by and large, you're, you're, you're personally thoughtful enough to have a basic sense of genuine wisdom. But Grace, hear, hear me say this. Too often, however, we confuse some basic sense of wise wisdom with the pure version of it. We combine some true things about God with our own philosophy of life and our own personal desires, and we confuse that combination with the pure will of God. Often, like every syncretistic religion, this is the most dangerous kind of unwise wisdom because it has some measure of truth to it. It comes really close in a lot of ways. It sounds so reasonable. Even it uses biblical language and maybe even has a verse taken out of context, of course, but we don't worry about that. Because of these things, it's often harder to spot the problem. And so, again, Here's the issue, whatever it is. Here's what I think about that. Test that, Grace. Be really careful about that. This idea of semi-sanctified common sense. It's some things you heard in church, some things that other churches are, are doing. It's It makes sense. God would never, or God would always, or how could God? Or That's the way it shows up so often. You get all kinds of tragedies that look like godliness, but aren't. So all of that then begs the question, if all that's what it isn't, what is it? <laughs> all right, you've told us enough about the, the bad version. What's the good version? Well, wise wisdom or true wisdom is understanding how to live in the world as it truly is. I love that. I think I made that up, which makes it even cooler. <laughs> um, probably I didn't. There's nothing new under the sun anyway. But wise wisdom or true wisdom is understanding how to live in the world as it truly is. Now, at first, that sounds too simple to be true. But test that. That's a really good definition of wisdom. Would you think that it encompasses as it is in all ways, with with God as God and us under him? It includes living in light of the gospel and the word of God as it truly is. That is, I'll say it a different way, wisdom is knowing how to function in a manner pleasing to God in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And just as we need to know the source and characteristics of unwise wisdom to avoid it, we need to know the source and characteristics of wise wisdom to embrace it and nurture it. Kids, the Bible says you especially need this. We, your parents do as well. But with age comes increasing wisdom generally. Read the Proverbs, kids. And, and if you don't know how to read, ask your parents to read them with you. This is important. So what is the source? Unwise wisdom comes to the world, the flesh, and the devils. But James says in verse 17, wise wisdom comes from above. 
He says it negatively in 15 when he says unwise wisdom does not come from above or does not come down from above. Since wisdom is the understanding of how to live in the world as it truly is, and since God is the one who made the world as it truly is, it only makes sense that wisdom would come and only come from God. But even there, we need to be careful. Hear this again, Grace Church. This language creeps in pretty easily. What does it mean that wisdom comes from and only from God? I hear this. I hear this. Think about this. It's pretty common for me to hear someone say, the Lord told me to. Or, I feel, I really feel like God wants me to. Or, I prayed and asked God for guidance, and now I just have such a a peace about it. There may be a place for some of that kind of thinking. But always, always on the other side of a careful study of God's word among the people of God. God's word is where God's wisdom is ultimately found. It's the only truly sufficient place where we can get real wisdom. Not in some type of subjective impression or mystical experience or peaceful feeling. God's word tells us everything. Not, God's word does not tell us everything we might want to know. But it does tell us everything we need to know. To live in a manner pleasing to God to live as God intends. That is, the Bible, in the Bible, is all the wisdom that we need to honor God in every situation we might encounter. That is what it means, what James means when he says that wisdom is from above. In very practical terms, if we want to be truly wise, we need to be students of the Word of God. If wisdom is ultimately and sufficiently found in the Word of God, you can't have it if you don't have it. We need to be students of God's word. And when we seek advice from godly people, we should not ask them, what do you think? What do you think I should do? But what passages in scripture are you aware of that speak to my situation? And how do you understand that I might faithfully apply them? Wise wisdom comes from God, and God has shared his wisdom in his word. May this increasingly mark us at Grace Church. Well, if that's what it is, Again, we need to ask, where does it come from? James answers that question as well in verses 13, 17, and 18. You get 11. You get six of unwise wisdom. I got to go quick, but you get 11 characteristics of wise wisdom. All right, I'm going to read the passages again, 13, 17, and 18. Kids, just listen, or you can see it up on the screen. See if you can get all 11 as I read through it. You ready? Verse 13, by his, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You ready? This is going to be quick. Number one, good conduct. Just as every vile practice is sort of the generic term, to encompass all the bad things that come out of unwise wisdom. It's sort of a a catch-all for all the evils that unwise wisdom leads to. Good conduct is the positive version. It's a catch-all phrase for all the good things that come from God's wisdom. Good conduct always flows from from good wisdom. If you believe yourself to be wise, it will show up in the goodness of your life. Number two, meekness. Again, James has contrasts in mind where... Every vile conduct, good good conduct is contrasted with that. Meekness is contrasted with boasting. Where the fruitness of unwise wisdom is boasting, the fruitness of wise wisdom is meekness or humility. 
It's impossible, Grace, get this. It is impossible to understand the world as it truly is and live in light of it, wisdom. It is impossible to understand the world as it really is and be proud. Why? I'll tell you why. We cannot have even an inkling of God as he is in his holiness or his power and feel superior. Nate, it's Nate, where's Nate? Nate? Nate had this idea. He keeps saying it's mine, but it was his. He had this idea that in every Olympic event, you should have the Olympians in lanes one through eight, and then in lane nine, one of us. <laughs> because as Olympians compete against Olympians, they look normal. But if you or I were out there throwing down a hundred, trying to throw down a hundred meter dash, much less 5,000 or something like that, it's going to give us proper perspective. The way we're proud is when we measure horizontally, and that's not the world as it is. But when we first measure vertically, which is what God's word tells us to do, against God, you cannot be a proud person. You will be meek. You will be humble. No one, no one could be in the Olympics. Try pole vaulting. (laughs) They're at like 20 feet. Try pole vaulting and feel proud after you you do it next to someone who knows how to do it. In the same way, see yourself in, in the world as it truly is, with God as he is and you as you are. You cannot be proud. Wise people will be meek people because wisdom measures itself against God and not others. Third, purity. Wise wisdom is also marked by purity, moral innocence, uprightness. James says that the outworking of wisdom actually begins with purity. To live according to things as they truly are is to know that conformity to the character of God is the one and only way to be properly ordered. You cannot be ordered properly. You cannot function as you were designed to function if you do not order yourself against the character of God. But wise people also know that that is the only path to true and everlasting joy. Number four, peaceful and peaceable. Wise wisdom is also marked by being peaceful and peaceable. To be pure is to be properly ordered, and the definition of peaceful is to be ordered rightly. Where does a lack of peace come from? It comes from disorder. And so to be wise is to be properly ordered, and to be properly ordered is the only way to have peace. Even when the world is at its worst, true wisdom know know that the promises of God are sure for all who will receive them in faith. And in that is a peace that surpasses understanding. And because wisdom is peaceful, it is also peaceable, eager to be at peace with others, not quarrelsome. Number five, gentle. To be gentle is to be courteous and considerate. It is to be patient, even willing to endure mistreatment for the sake of the gospel. One who is gentle does not demand what they are owed, but turns the other cheek and gives the cloak also. Number six, open to reason. Wisdom, once again, means seeing the world as it truly is. Wise people, therefore, recognize that as we truly are, we're finite. We're fallen. We're limited. We recognize that. And when we recognize that, wisdom listens. That's what James says. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Be slow to speak, quick to hear, quick to take in. We're open to reason. When someone recognizes these things, they will listen closely to the reasoning of others to help them grow in their understanding. Number seven, full of mercy. Wisdom leads leads us to care for others in their time of suffering. Why? Because God cares for us in our time of suffering. Number eight, full of good fruits. Another summary statement like good conduct. 
Some have argued even that wisdom for James is like the fruit of the Spirit for Paul. If you compare the lists, they're very similar, which was neat that that was our fighter verse for this week in light of this text. The similarities between James's wise wisdom characteristics and Paul's fruit of the Spirit characteristics are hard to miss. Number nine, impartial. True wisdom is not divided. It does not waver. It does not show favoritism, which James said earlier. It understands the world as it is and acts in strict accordance to it. We're not pulled. We're not divided. We're not, we're not pulled in multiple directions. There is a path to honoring God, and we're glad to be on it. Number 10, sincere. Wisdom is not hypocritical. It does not say one thing and do another. A wise person does not hold two people to different standards or one person to a different standard than we hold ourselves to. Wise wisdom leads the man and woman of God to say what they mean and mean what they say. Most impressively, perhaps, those who possess wise wisdom are sincere in how they think, feel, and act, and that they do so with consistency. How you think is how you feel, and how you feel is how you act. They're united. That's what wisdom does. It's sincere. It's whole. It's complete. It's ordered. Number 11, and lastly, it's a harvest of righteousness. Not not just righteousness. All the rest talked about righteousness, but a harvest of righteousness. Wise wisdom is characterized by harvesting it. That is, it leads not only to this moral purity and every good deed and that kind of thing, righteousness in the wise person, but it also leads the wise person to sow seeds of righteousness and bear the harvest of righteousness in those around him or her. So James' point in all of this is clear. When these characteristics are missing, you cannot have wise wisdom. You can only have unwise wisdom. But where they're found, you can only have wise wisdom. You can't have unwise wisdom. So let's commit to seeking this from above and nurturing the fruits of it. Let me restate the main point. Give you one more verse in Proverbs and be done. The main point is that wise wisdom comes from God and produces good fruit, while unwise wisdom comes from below and produces bad fruit. Listen then to the Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son and daughter, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures. What are you really going after in life? This tells us, James, and the author of this proverb tells us it should be wisdom. (laughs) If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then, and only then, Will you be truly wise, helpful to the people of God, and able to rightly be doers of the word, not merely hearers?